0: This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 14.
1: During the internship, I've got four to 600 hours that I can evaluate you. I can watch you. If you walk in to the bathroom and there's water all over the sink, are you going to wipe it down or are you just going to walk by and leave it? If you see some paper on the ground, you're going to pick it up, you're going to throw it away. I can get a sense of who you are and how you're going to fit and work within our environment.
0: This is the NSCA's coaching podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, head strength and conditioning coach at NSCA headquarters, Scott Caulfield. And with me today, my good friend, Lauren Landau, owner of Landau Performance, right up the road from uh, us in Denver, Colorado. But today, we are actually operating out of the Paris Las Vegas Hotel and Casino here for the 40th anniversary of the NSCA's National Conference. Lauren, excited that you're here, man.
1: Thank you, Scott. I'm glad we were able to make this work.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we had to go all the way to Vegas to record a podcast. We live 45 minutes from each other. uh did you guys make it in okay you just came in this morning or last night or what
1: i got in last night and the group of coaches who i brought out here they all got in this morning they took the early flight and uh they're there in the go getting ready for this pre-con
0: that's awesome yeah and what's your pre-con uh on today uh, this is kind of a topic that you've been hitting a lot or that you're passionate about it is
1: it's it's my soapbox topic of multi-directional movement and you know, I'm going to set it up for about a 90-minute lecture and then uh, the rest of the time take it into practical where I can really show um, you know six of my coaches I, it was important to me to fly my coaches out here um, to really show the mechanics that we're, we're striving for when we teach these uh, these progressions that we do uh, and that's that's my biggest takeaway is I, or my biggest giveaway is I want to make sure that the attendees um, you know they're not just hearing like this system based strategy they're actually seeing it and they're seeing people who can actually do it really well. A lot of times you go to a conference and you ask attendees to to jump up and partake and you know they're they're not the most efficient movers so I think it's important that they see some people that can really uh, dial things in pretty tightly yeah
0: no i'm pretty sure you uh pulled me in to demonstrate once at major league baseball winter meetings and speaking of inefficient movers that was uh no i, I think <laughs> I don't that mind the, being thrown in the fire every once in a while
1: <laughs> i think that was the best ever uh not knowing how much space i had not knowing right. if the practitioners were going to demo or not seeing yeah. everybody in suits and ties yeah. and nice clothes i turned to scott and i say how do you feel about uh doing some demo for me today and man you jumped you tied up your shoes and went right for it
0: (laughs) good thing i brought the jordans there (laughs) uh yeah and you brought your whole crew which is awesome you're in a brand new facility not that long talk about uh kind of the the um progression of you know getting and building this new facility and having more staff uh, available and
1: yeah, we're, we're right now, we're doing some real fun things. Uh, we started out originally in 800 square feet. It was myself and, and an intern at the time who's now uh, my longest coach with me, he's been with me eight years, and we started at 800 square feet and, and from there we, we started busting at the seams, started showing a good profit margin and decided we'd build out. We built out to a 3600 square feet where then I hired uh, eight more coaches. And within two years' time, we were busting at the seam there, obviously 3,600 square feet, not very big. Um, but now we're in a 9,200-square-foot facility where I have 16 coaches. And, you know, we're we're just having fun trying to figure this whole industry out and trying to figure out um, really our why. We know our why, but we're really trying to deliver our why and, and really grow as coaches and evolve uh, each and every day as a team
0: that's cool and people who have followed you or see you from the conferences know a little bit about you know the combine tra- prep and work in the Broncos but you guys have a wide array of athletes you train talk a little bit about who else you guys train uh,
1: we, we do we have everybody in there we say from 5 to 85 is about our age range and we have everything from weekend warriors to you know gold medal uh, world record olympians uh, we, we you know, in the offseason, getting ready right now for the NFL, we have uh, about 30, 35 NFL players who are in training with us and preparing uh, this last month before training camp. But we have year round, we have our MMA fighters. Uh, we have 50 fighters on our roster at that. Um, of the 50, we have 22 that fight in the UFC. So it, it keeps us busy year round for sure. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a handful, but uh, they're some of the best guys to work with. And, you know, a lot of general populations come into our door as well. Yep.
0: Yep. And, uh, I talked to another MMA guy earlier today about this too, but like, how did you get involved in that? Cause I think a lot of strength conditioning coaches, you know, that work with athletes, whether in collegiate or pro or private sector, you know, understand that. But then this MMA thing and this, you know, with the UFC and all these other organizations is really taking off. And how did that happen?
1: Uh, ten years ago, I was training a gentleman, getting him ready for his pro day, and he went and he did he did good at his pro day. He had a cup of coffee with the Buffalo Bills, you know, quick training camp with them, and once it was done, it, I think it was hard for him to really, you know, sit there and go, oh my gosh, my athletic career is over, and he got right into mixed martial arts. He really went one-dimensional early, and he went straight to boxing and went in and won, some, won Golden Gloves in Colorado and then became a jiu-jitsu, really started working on his jiu-jitsu and, and really started putting this whole thing together called mixed martial arts. He had a couple amateur fights and then quickly went to the lower level pro. He reached out to me right after his first or second fight and said, hey, you were my strength coach when I was getting ready for the, the NFL. Would you be my strength coach now? And I said, absolutely. I said, but I don't know a damn thing about the sport. So I, this was 10 years ago, I started really trying to get uh, on as much footage as I could and really watch this sport and really get an idea for what it was. And, um, you know, I, I think I would watch a fight and I really didn't have a good sense of what was happening as far as the chess match that was happening. And so I went into it, um, you know, thinking that, oh, these guys need to do high intensity circuits and they need to be doing all these metabolic sessions and it's so funny to now see my philosophy, how much it's changed from then. But he's really what gave me my first start. His name is Brendan Schaub, and and now he's on the Fighter and the Kid podcast, and he does a lot of stand-up. And I think he's actually doing a lot of the commentating leading up to this Con, uh, Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather fight. So That's cool. um, he, he got me introduced to uh, all the fighters in Colorado, and it's been exceptional. It's That's been really a fun cool. Ride.
0: That's really cool. And, yeah, so you work with um, the – Team, right? What team is it that you We have a
1: couple teams we work with. Okay. We have Team Elevation in Colorado, Some Elevation, yeah. Team Factory X and then uh, Team uh, Genesis. Okay,
0: yeah, and you guys have really done a good job of kind of uh, integrating your approach and your communication to maximize how you are able to train these guys, right?
1: Yeah, I think that was the biggest, you know, I think anytime you're in a coaching situation and and you're not in control of of a majority of the workload, if your communication skills aren't high, if you're unwilling to reach out to the other coaches and get a sense of what they're doing, uh, there's a big problem. So when I got involved with this fight team, I went to a uh, majority of the practices. I went to a majority of the sparring sessions, and I just had to watch. I had to watch the intensity levels at which these things were happening. What was their warm-up like? What was their work-to-rest ratios like in practices and on the, the, the um, uh, tactical side? And from there, I could actually start modeling what I, – I could sit there and watch the sport, but I had to watch the practice to really get a sense of – What is it that their sport and their practice does not give them? And then what can I give them in the meantime? They're only with me two to three hours a week. They have anywhere between 12 to 16 hours of practice a week. So does it make sense for me just to smash them metabolically, which they're already getting? Or does it make sense for me to work with more speed, power, and strength development? And so that's kind of how it's evolved for me.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And how did you... did you kind of have trouble, uh, you know, getting in with those uh, discipline coaches, so to speak? Or, did you know, was that kind of a process of just educating them a little bit more about why you do what you do and how that's going to help the overall athlete?
1: I, I'm fortunate. Um, when I was brought into this fight team, uh, the coaches who were involved were, were very open-armed. Uh, they understood their craft and their discipline And there were things they didn't understand from a human performance, human physiology side that I think uh, a person such as myself uh, was able to benefit them. So because of that, they were very open armed. I think what what really was the, the light bulb moment for those coaches is when I would give an athlete a schedule. And the schedule, it's its a readiness schedule. It's, a, you know, it's the, the way we perceive it, exertion. It's, it's a green, yellow, red, um, you know, uh, sheet that has every day of the week and it had every discipline that they did. And I told the athletes to check off the, the color that that practice was for them. And underneath that, they had to put the duration of the practice. So... The the first athletes I would give this to, they'd come back, and of 16 practices, 14 were in the red. <laughs> wow. And so I went back to the coaches, and I said, here's a problem. I yeah. said, here's a problem. And the funny enough is coaches would say, oh, you know, our Thursday striking session, that was a yellow. And I was like, well, it might have been a yellow to you. Yeah. I said, but to them with the accumulative fatigue that they were having, I said, this was a red to them. Here's how they perceived it. Whether you thought it was a yellow or a green, that's Regardless of that, yeah. here's where they're perceiving it, yeah. and so I think that was the light bulb moment that allowed me to have a little bit more control. And uniquely enough, I had coaches asking me. The jiu-jitsu coach and the wrestling coach would ask me as we get, you know, closer down into our fight, yeah. they'd say, "Okay, here's what we've been doing for wrestling. What do you suggest I do?" Yes. So they were actually yeah. seeking my advice leading up to it. And, and uh, one of the wrestling coaches, Lester Bowling, he and I would uh, connect on the phone maybe two, three, four times a week when we had a fighter in camp. Nice. So we can kind of debrief at the end of the day. Wow,
0: that's cool. Um, talk us a little bit about uh, what a typical camp looks like. And I know coming up in September, uh, that's I'm pretty sure that's one of the things you're going to be talking about at our next combat clinic and something that just from talking with you, you're very passionate about giving people a better understanding of what a complete training camp looks like because you see whether it be clips on Instagram or YouTube of people training and then yeah. they're doing crazy stuff. Yeah with the <laughs> altitude
1: mask on and the sledgehammers. Um, I, I think for me um, yeah I'm excited. The combat clinic's gonna be great. I'm going into my eight-week uh fight prep. However I'm doing it a little bit different. I'm doing it from post fight of the previous fight And how we have our athletes, when they come out of a fight, they fall into three categories. They're an A, a B, or a C. The A, you have a clean bill of health. Uh, B, you have, um, you've had some sort of head trauma and you've actually been on suspension. And C, you had an orthopedic concern. Maybe it was surgical. Maybe it was not surgical. But what we're going to do or what I'm going to do is I'm going to show, um, how I take my athletes as a team between Lando Performance and the Resilience Code, how we take them through a camp if they're an A, B, or a C, um, uh, distinguished fighter after a fight camp. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited yeah. to show that because I think there's that's that's the gray area in the sport is, okay, I had my fight. Now my fighter's going to go off the wagon for the next four or five weeks, party, get out of shape, do all yeah. these things. But was he healthy post-fight? Yeah. And I'll discuss all the, the steps that we take to really ensure that our fighters are ready to start a training camp.
0: That's cool. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you mentioned the Resilience Code, and I do know you've got a bunch of kind of other cool new things that you're, you're into right now. So tell us a little bit about what that is and some of the other projects that are going on.
1: Sure. The Resilience Code is a, a project up in Denver, Colorado, literally three minutes from my facility that I'm partnered with, and it's with uh, Dr. Chad Pressmack. He's the neurosurgeon for the Denver Broncos. He is the brains behind the operation. What he did is he pulled myself in. He brought in Dustin Nabhan from the Olympic Training Center, sports medicine. He brought in Seth Linetsky, um, Ph.D. from uh, New Zealand, from uh, University of Auckland. And uh, Seth has done a lot of his research in striking and combatives. And so what we've done is we've put together this team of practitioners, and everything in that facility is data-driven. Everything the wearables that they, they do, uh, the wearables that they wear during session, all the testing um, that they do as they come in, all the force plate uh, analytics that they do as they come in every session. We want to make sure we have a good pulse on these guys and what we're trying to do is put together a facility that is, that is um, dual-headed. That has the research component and the practical component and can we blend these two and that's ultimately what we're trying to do in the private sector so it's an awesome project we've got great people involved um, you know and we're just trying to figure out what we have uh, all together with this. That's cool that's exciting Um,
0: and it's for anybody too right you've got high level athletes you've got regular people. Yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: a concierge model in a sense where you know people come in they get their blood work done and they find out what their deficiencies are what their uh, Um, what what their allergies are in their diet. And from there, we we manage and and build a program for them. That's
0: awesome. That's really neat. And uh, you're doing uh, some work with Bobsled and Skeleton now, or just Bobsled? Bobsled and Skeleton. Okay.
1: I was hired as a consultant for USA Bobsled and I've been working with them for the last two months with uh, their strength coach, Brandon Stone, uh, i go down to the training center about once, twice a month and, uh, you know, just help these guys try to attain these goals uh, leading up to the Olympics here. You know, our window's getting uh, narrow. We're about, you know, seven months out. Cool. And uh, it's really fun to see these guys, you know, their their focus is so high. And um, they're just thoroughbreds. And it's really, yeah. it's been a fun process to watch yeah. and be a part of.
0: Nice. Yeah, very fun. I had a couple uh 2013, at uh, 12 and 13, I think I helped out with the bobsled national team camp. And I know a lot of the sliders, uh, you know, that, who have uh, retired as well. as Some who are still going strong and just fun athletes to work with. Man, they're
1: so focused. And, you know, obviously they come to us from a different discipline, you know, whether it's track and field, American right. football. Right. Um but they just bring a, just a, a, a thirst and a drive for information and, and the effort that they give you is second to none. That's great. No, I
0: really liked them. Um, we always open our doors, too, and any of them are in town. If they ever want to come train, we always have opened the doors to them to come on over and get in what they need to get in. Um, you talked about you know your staff being here. Um, talked a little bit. You mentioned the why, too. Um, you know, why do you coach, though? What 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 do you get up for every day that you're still so passionate and so driven about this stuff for?
1: You know, uh, Brett Bartholomew asked me this question the other day, and I told him, I said, you know what? My, my why is really to, to be a source of a direction, somebody to help you guide your path, find your way. Um, you know, whether you're coming back from an injury, whether you're, you know, leading into the unknown of the NFL combine, whether you're, uh, just got cut from a team, whatever it is that you're dealing with, I want to be able to be that person that can help guide a path. Um, I think when I was growing up, I had coaches that were very instrumental to me. And I could see when I was younger that there was a, a, you had a tremendous amount of resources. There were a lot of people that wanted to see you do well. And I see as we get older, Resources for the most part tend to diminish. Um, and I always want to make sure that I'm that person that those athletes can turn to and say, Hey, um, I've got this injury and everybody who was, you know, part of my, my fan club or my posse are no longer around. Um, you know, I need help. And I, I like to be that person that can help guide and create a path. Um, that, I think that's my why. Yeah. You know, that's my yeah. why from a coaching perspective, and I think my why on this industry is to be able to show coaches such as mine that you can make a living in this industry in the private sector, that you can make a very nice industry, that you can write your path, that you can you can do all those things, you can present at conferences, you can do all those things. It's out there for you to attain. You just have to freaking get up every morning and push. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's. I mean, sometimes it's easier for. When you're so passionate about it it's not like work right i mean even when you're traveling all over the place and running off to kids games and different things uh and doing all these different uh, speaking gigs and contracting gigs like uh, at the end of the day you're, you're really like man i i get to coach these people right
1: <laughs> so fortunate now i'm one of those people i think i'm, I'm equivalent to a, a greyhound uh, dog because if i'm not coaching i'm gonna lose my mind uh if i go on a family trip if i go on a, a you know even being gone at a conference where you're in, involved in the in the the industry and you're hearing great information i i can't wait for monday i cannot wait to get out and coach i cannot wait for that first session uh, it, it just i start shaking yeah. on sunday night <laughs> <laughs>
0: getting back get, get your detox from That's the right. coaching um and yeah, you've developed a really great staff. I know a lot of your coaches are really phenomenal, and and you've done a good job. What do you look for when you're you know gonna hire somebody? You guys have interns. Some of those interns have become staff members. What are you looking for that are either you know intangibles or things that people can actually work on to become better?
1: I think it's it's gonna come off very cliche, but again, most of my employees have been interns for me. I do not care about your resume. I do not care about what you've done, what you attempted to do. I don't care. What I care about is how do you interact with our team? Are you a good fit? Do you have a good vibe? Are you a team player? Are you a me or a we guy? Um, The feedback from my athletes. My athletes tell me a lot of times, I really like this person, okay, what did you like? Um, and I really kind of probe my athletes a lot of times on this. But during the internship, I've got four to 600 hours that I can evaluate you, I can watch you. If you walk in to the bathroom and there's water all over the sink, are you gonna wipe it down or are you just gonna walk by and leave it? If you see some paper on the ground, you're gonna pick it up, you're gonna throw it away. I can get a sense of who you are and how you're gonna fit and, and work within our environment. We have a culture at our facility, and I've missed, I've missed no doubt, um, but I try not to miss, um, by really using my diligence, uh, my due diligence during the internship process and just watching who you are from a character standpoint and a value standpoint, that tells me all I need to know. Um, and I've always, and again, this is the cliche part, you know. I can't, I can't teach you to be a good person. I can't teach you to be a person who has good relationships. I can't teach you to be a good team player. If you are those things, I do believe I can teach you to be a good coach. And and that's truly what we look for. Yeah.
0: I think, yeah, a lot of those things I would totally, I do totally agree with. And it's just, those are like the, yeah, the the EQ side, right? That we talk about intelligence and emotional quotient, but like those things that are empathy and diff- learning about different things, connecting, building relationships. It's just so much of the real part of coaching that makes the people that are really good at it. It yeah. sets them apart.
1: And At the end of the day, you know, for me and my team, we've got to like you. Yeah, uh, we've yeah. got to. We're, we're all going to be together for anywhere between 20 to 60 hours a week. We've got to like each other. We've got I, I put up a, I put up this dumb diagram in my facility. I say dumb. It, it, I, I, I hope it, it served its purpose. But it was a circle and it had 16 slots around the circle. And in the middle, I wrote, what is LP to you? And I wanted my coaches to come up as the day went on and put one word that explained what Lando performance was to them. And the words were like community, family, uh, pride, and all these great answers. And and that's really what we're trying to create is is somewhere where you can, you know, grow a career and believe.
0: That's really cool. No, I, I definitely like uh, so much of what you've done and so many good people that you have. Um, so when you talk about your athletes again, kind of, and even your staff, you know, what are, like... What's, what are the vision and goals that you have for those people that you train, whether that be coaches or athletes?
1: I'd say the visions and goals for my athletes, I would say this. I, I, want, I want everybody to be able to maximize their ability. Again, sounds cliche, but our time is limited. Our time is limited on this earth, in sports, in everything that we do. So, to me, it makes no sense to do something half hearted, half assed. Like, you've got to go in and you've got to get after it. And if I can help, you know, light that fire or spark that fire for somebody who maybe is just on the edge of it, um, I I think that's really what I'm trying to instill with my athletes from a a value standpoint is is have them really look at this and say, you know what? I'm not just happy being a bubble player, I'm not just happy um, getting. Eight to ten snaps a game. I want to. I want to maximize my ability. And to watch the joy that somebody has when they attain that is is awesome. Uh, you know, when you when you watch your athletes achieve something, you watch them overcome something and have that resolve. Man, that's what it's all about. That's what life is about. Again, our it's it's a microcosm of life is what we do in training. And the more crap I can endure in training, the more crap I can handle outside of it
0: a great point um and we mentioned you know being here at the conference obviously you've been on a tour of speaking we ran into you in january at the coach conference ran into you at the nfl combine um you know how are you speaking more than normal right now is it about average for kind of what you're doing um are you look are you trying to cut back on that part of it you know to focus on the business like how are you balancing all that stuff
1: last year uh leading into uh, the summer olympics and the building of our facility I, i put all speaking on halt um i didn't speak for i believe it was eight months i didn't speak at a conference and that was important for me to make sure that i could be there with uh my athlete and make sure that I could travel with my athlete and do all those things, but also that I wasn't away from the facility too much. Um, this year, I've, I've, I've kind of picked it back up again, you know, changing from my previous, uh, place of business to Lando Performance once I bought my partners out. You know, I did a good job of building their brand and now it was time to build my brand. So, um, I think that was part of it. But the other thing is, is always, you know, if people want to hear the message I have, I, I, I will never turn down the opportunity to share it. Um, I'm fortunate enough to, I just got back from Ireland um, for the Play Summit out there, uh, be heading out to the UK SCA and then uh, in August and then to ASCA in November. So, I, you know, I, I want to be able to share a passion of mine and, and something that I, I hope provides some sort of purpose um, uh, to our industry.
0: Yeah, and, and you've obviously spoken at a number of NSCA events, too. Um, tell me a little bit about, like, how did you first get involved doing NSCA stuff and, you know, kind of who, you know, maybe introduced you or asked you to speak first or, you know, mentored you along the way in that aspect?
1: It had to be, it had to be, I want to say it was 2005. I was flying back from a conference. I want to say it was here in Vegas, and I don't know if it was coaches, NatCon, I can't remember. But I remember texting, I don't know if I texted or called, that's how long ago it was, <laughs> uh, Patrick McHenry. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, I think Pat was in charge of the, uh, the NSCA um, state director for Colorado. Yeah. And I, I could be wrong on all this, but I <laughs> reached out to Patrick because I knew he was my into the NSCA. I said, what does somebody have to do to present for the NSCA? Says you need to submit, you know, what you want to present on. You have to submit the presentation. It's got to go through a board. And I sent that off and I was um, given the thumbs up for coaches conference that was down in Orlando. I'll never forget it. And that was my very first time presenting for the NSCA coaches. And man, I was scared. I was shaking. I was nervous. And it was the coolest thing ever. You know, we talk about making putting ourselves in vulnerable positions to help ourselves grow And I remember that, you know, you, you get the thumbs up. You're like, Oh, I can't wait to present. I can't wait to present. And then it gets there and you're like, Oh no, you know, do I have a message that's worth hearing? Do they want to hear me? Am I going to say something stupid? Am I going to, you know, forget what I'm talking about? And it was, it was the scariest, coolest, um, (laughs) uh, event ever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I know what you mean. I know that uh, every year now at the January coaches conference, I, uh, get to kind of MC the awards ceremony and the different things that we do and I'm always like that so pumped and like this is going to be so great and then I get in there and like there's 700 people and you're about to get up there and I'm like here we go i gotta control my breathing <laughs> and i'm like nobody and i think so you know it goes fine but it's like whoa well, they give you a pretty good uh you
1: know introduction with all the rock music though.
0: it get it's gotten really cool yeah it's a little bit intimidating i'm like man this is awesome this is awesome but um yeah and so at these events right um you and I were just talking about this before we started about national being kind of a mix of everybody. Really what makes up the NSCA and what make, what sets it apart? You have students, you have researchers, professors, coaches, trainers, everybody under the sun, private sector, professional sports. Um, you know, what are some kind of tips or keys or things that you do as far as like building your network and, you know, networking slash communicating with people, maybe new people that you've just met or, you know, obviously you're connecting with your buddies that you haven't seen since last year and in some points. So any tips you have or suggestions about that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I I love NatCon because it's a melting pot. It's a melting pot of, as you said, all these different great practitioners and everybody who's kind of been in the industry, who's just getting into the industry. It's really fun. Um, my best advice is if you have a question, ask it. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid to go up and talk to a presenter, a speaker, or somebody who you look up to or revere to. Like, make an attempt to create a relationship. One of the, one of the best things that I've heard, and this was from a mentor of mine, Dan Path, uh, Dan always talks about mentorship. It's a two-way street. You know, if you're one of those people who's looking to be mentored and all you do is, you know, pepper the person, pepper the person, but you never provide anything back. That's a one-way street. It's got to be a two-way street. If you come across great research, don't assume that they don't want to see it. You know, email it to them. Talk to them about it. Mentoring needs to be a two-way street. So I, I always uh, uh, tell young practitioners that is just don't take, take, take. Provide and give. Provide and give. And, and show your appreciation, um, you know, with it as well. I think this is an industry where we a lot of egos tend to dictate um, actions and I think it's so important if you've ever watched me present, I always 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 mention my mentors because without them, I wouldn't be up there without them, I wouldn't have a piece of the philosophy that I have today without them um you know none of us are in this field, so um, always pay homage to to those who have who have set the table for 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 you
0: That's really cool No, I think the two way street just is so important too I think a lot of times. I mean, I know with some of the interns that we have, um, you know, obviously we try and provide them some instruction and training. But I mean, I feel like I get so much more out of them sometimes than I probably feel like I gave them. And you know,
1: it's like, man, kids, smarter. Yeah. Our kids these days are smart. Yeah. They Come out of school with some really good information. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, and that's I mean that's what we always said, right? We, you know, my our good friend Joe Cannon has always said, you know, you don't want to hire. Uh, three Joe Kens, right? There's three Lauren Landau's. you got to hire people that compliment you. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of the times, like, luckily for me, it's not that hard to hire someone smarter than me. So <laughs> you, you both, we set that bar really low. Yeah, yeah. So if we can just fill it out like that, it makes it a lot easier. Um, but, yeah, and I love the NSCA conference just because the National was the first one I came to. I think, you know, my first one I ended up getting to hang out with Avery Fagenbaum and a couple like, you know, Doug Lentz, some of these guys, Steve Plisk, people that, you know, that were it just kind of, you know, you kind of just hung around. They said, hey, come follow us and do this. And you just, you know, listen to the stories. And maybe I didn't have anything to add to that, but I was there. And then I was able to keep in touch with those people
1: afterwards. I'll tell you this morning, I walk out of my hotel at 6 a.m. here at the Paris I walk out. I run into Lawrence Herrera and I run into Dan Baker. The three of us proceed for the next hour to talk about MMA and fights and all this. I mean, I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, six a.m. You are sitting there talking yeah. to, you know, practitioners in the field who are passionate about the yeah. same things. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome.
0: Um, how about what are some kind of roadblocks? You know, we're talking about young coaches and getting involved, and how about anything that you really, you know, wish you had known about that you avoid or want other coaches as they're up and coming that they should think about maybe not you know, maybe watching out for
1: oh god there's been so many opportunities of learning (laughs) (laughs) so many opportunities of learning and now with that being said of all the mistakes i've made within the industry i would not change a one because i truly learned uh from them i would not change a one however uh I think every practitioner has it they come out of school and boy you sure think you know it all and you know what sometimes uh you you try so hard for everybody to hear how much you know and how smart you are and you want to be revered as this professional and you know what it it couldn't be further from the truth you know it's it's uh you know I think when I get into a room now I for sure talk a lot less and I try to listen more and and I think that's something I really tell my interns is you know I know you guys are smart I know you're all these things but I want you to pay attention and to listen uh and <laughs> I think I said it at the KU conference this year but uh you have one mouth two ears you yeah. know use them use them appropriately right right
0: listen twice as much as you talk yeah. exactly um you mentioned Dan Path and you know being a mentor who else has kind of influenced you along your career path what'd you get you know from those people
1: I'd say coach Path coach Seagrave um, were, were my go-tos when it came to human movement. They still are my, my go-tos with human movement, physiology. Um, they're, they're just, you know, they're legends. They're, they've been around. They've seen it. They've, they've done so much. They've forgotten more than you and I know. Right, right. <laughs> um, but the thing that I love is they're always open to communication. They're always open to hearing, hearing you out, to listening to a question. I've never once had Dan say, uh, you know, I don't have time. Dan makes time for everybody. Um, you know, Stephen Plisk was a huge influence on me. Greg Roscoff uh, from Muscle Activation Techniques, huge influence on me. Tom Purvis, uh, biomechanics specialist uh, from Re- Resistance Training Specialist, huge influence on me. And those those guys right there were probably the ones that really set my my philosophy a lot. They were all masters of what they did, but none of them did exactly what it was that I was trying to do. So what I tried to do is pull from each of them how I can maybe integrate uh, some of my philosophies in, in what I do. So um, you know, I I can never, I can never thank them or even repay them. Uh, I just hope that, that, um, you know, you know, that they, they hear messages like this at times. Yeah,
0: no, that's so great. It's that kind of Bruce Lee philosophy, right? Of taking something from everybody and making it your own. And I think that's really what it's all about. Um, how about some kind of more specific questions, but like kind of the, my million dollar question, you know, how do I become a you know, a strength coach that
1: works with professional athletes. Yeah, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> I was say be careful what you wish for because, uh, you know, as glamorous and as exciting as it may look to do that in the private sector, I mean – um, if you're doing it for the right reasons, there becomes a big burden and a, a, a big weight on your shoulders when you're working with people whose your preparation of them is really their livelihood and, and how they feed their families and how they, they pay their bills. So, uh, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, it'll keep you up at night when things aren't going right. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a, a big one. Be careful what you wish for. But, um, you, you better have an extensive amount of, Experience before jumping in to the professional type athletes. Uh, you make a mistake there. There's a problem. Again, this is how these people make their living, their livelihood. Uh, they feed their families. Um, you want to make sure you're not cutting your teeth on on what I call expensive people. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, take time, develop your craft. You know, don't sit there and, and say, well, I only want to work with pros because. One, you're not going to see them for much time of the year if you're in the private sector. Um, and two, they're not going to be enough for you to make a living on. So you've got to be able to work with everybody. Um, you know, Working with the middle school, the, the primary education, secondary education uh, athletes, I mean, those are the ones where you really learn a lot from. I still, to this day, uh, work with young athletes as young as you know, 9, 10, 11, Um and I work with a ton of high school kids still and middle school kids because, again, I learn so much about myself coaching them, my patience, how I talk, how I communicate, uh, my observation skills. I mean, there's so much you can still gain from them. So even though you might be going after the, the carrot dangling that's the pro athlete, uh, don't lose sight of where that pro athlete was at one point in their development.
0: Yeah. And what do you think then, too, I mean, this, I think, kind of plays right off of that really well, but... What's the number one reason or one of the major reasons people fail to succeed in becoming a you know, good strength coach or a strength coach at that level?
1: I, I can only speak upon the private sector, but I'd say people give up way too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, not making enough money, not, not busy enough, I've got to make ends meet otherwise. Um, they're unwilling to to really put in the deep, hard grind. Like if you can if you can make it through that storm, it's a beautiful ride on that sea. But you've got to fight, claw your way. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough in the private sector. Um, the other thing I, I find is that kind of along the same lines as people, it's the grass is always greener. Well, you know what? I'm just not busy in Denver, so I'm going to move to this city and get busier. Or, you know, I just can't. I can't get busy under Lauren because, you know, he's got all these clients. No, that's not the case you just have to plant your heels and you have to stay committed to your path and you have got to push and grind you know you can get up and move but now you've got to you've got to reinvent yourself in a new city yeah. so you've got to be able to plant your heels at some point and and, and just decide you're gonna grow here yeah
0: my favorite quote about that which I say to our all of our interns I tell all my Assistance all the time is don't give up what you want most for what you want now And it's just such a true statement because yeah, you think something might be better here or this isn't happening fast enough It's never gonna happen fast enough And if it does happen fast enough most of the time, you're probably gonna regret something that
1: happened along the way <laughs> I, I have a great story my very first intern my, my first intern who's now become my long term my longest term coach with me Um, when he first started, he's like, I'm just not busy enough. I said, be careful what you wish for. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I understand you have bills to pay. I get it. I said, however, think of the opportunity you have right now to, to study more, to, to further your knowledge and all this, to truly be prepared when that floodgate opens, you're in a more prepared position than you were instead of sitting around worrying about what you don't have think about what you could be utilizing and maximizing your time with now because once you get smashed and busy you're going to be writing programming and that right. is it right
0: yeah yeah you're going to be doing it and doing it and not and wondering where you had time to go to that conference or mm-hmm. to you know take time off from work yeah <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to my kind of go-to questions. People uh, that have listened to the podcast have gotten to hear and uh, probably used to, and maybe they think they're dumb, but hopefully they think they get something out of them because I think they're kind of neat and different. But uh, about any three people, living, dead, or fictional characters that you'd like to have dinner or conversation with?
1: Okay, I've got my three, and I've heard this. I I knew this was coming, Um, and I've thought about this, but once you're put on the spot, it's harder to come up with those names. Um, but I, I think, um, and, and I'm going to give you just quick rationale on why each of them. Perfect. Charlie Francis. You know, I think once somebody passes, you're really, you know, you're more mystified about maybe what they were doing or what they were implementing. And I think I would, you know, just like to just hear conversation. And, and I just love to listen to different practitioners who've had success and just listen to what their perspectives were, what their failures were. And, um, you know, being able to ask, you know, specific questions about, hardships and, and success stories I think are always huge and I think he's a guy I'd like to have uh, to have heard um, I think from a philosophical standpoint and somebody who got it really really young and really early and unfortunately he passed as Bruce Lee I would you know for for me being what I consider a movement guy I would love to know really where where his philosophy stemmed from and who was the influence on him and um, because there's a lot of things that he talks. If you listen to what he says in, in clips, if you read what he's talked about, this guy got it. This guy completely understood efficiency of movement. Um, and then my last one, um, I'm, I'm a fan of entertainers and people that can capture an audience. I'm a fan of it. Garth Brooks. I would love to know what makes a guy like that tick. You know, I mean, he, he's by far maybe the, one of the most popular artists out there is he the most talented singer probably not is he does he have the, the best lyrics probably not but that guy can capture an audience and to see people that can just mesmerize you know 50 60 thousand people that just it, it amazes me to watch that nice i
0: like it i like it very very good different a little different um how about if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate any coaching practice what would you
1: get rid of any coaching practice that's a tough one um um, Hmm. any you know what can we just stop doing ladder drills in the sand
0: can we just (laughs)
1: stop i think maybe that's one right now that's just i have an athlete of mine who wanted to do a metabolic session on the sand today with one of my coaches out in la and i said that's fine, as long as you don't video it and as long as you don't <laughs> right, right. show it being something that it's not. Yeah, if you want to use yeah, it for yeah, a right. Metcon session and, and decrease a little deceleration, um, that's fine. But if you think you're getting faster by dampening the stretch shortening cycle, we got bigger issues in this industry. Yeah. What's the
0: purpose, right? Yeah, I oh, like it. Um this one again i stole uh kind of from coach mac uh, last time when we had him on the podcast and people know i put him under the shotgun maybe because i because i thought he had a cool one but if you weren't uh you know if landau performance wasn't uh what it is today what would you be doing if you're doing something different
1: i think it's gonna sound i'd be a storm chaser I'd be a storm chaser, man. (laughs) I don't know how, how well it pays. I don't even know if it pays, but I think I would like to chase some storms. That's great. I love it. I
0: love it. Um, well, I mentioned, uh, we got the combat clinic coming up in September, so I know people who listen between now and then will be able to register for that or watch it uh, from home. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at the UFC Performance Institute for that in September 22nd, 23rd. Uh, how about how can people reach you? What's the best way if they hear this and they've got more questions and they're like, "Wow, I need to connect with this guy."
1: You know, I think it's always easy uh, to connect on Twitter uh, via social media is always easy. I think at Lauren Lando, L-O-R-E-N-L-A-N-D-O-W is Twitter, Instagram. And, uh, you know, that's probably the best way to kind of get to me. And then I can we can then start conversation via email after that. Perfect.
0: Yeah. And it's been a great way. I've been impressed with some of the young people who have reached out to me on social media and, just gotten that started and old salty people too as well you know absolutely I, i've connected with a lot of coaches via social media it's just been such a great way to, to get in touch with people and communicate so well good luck with the pre-con today looking forward to hanging out with you the next few days at the national conference it's going to be fun
1: thank you scott and thank you for what you do for the nsca thank you to the nsca for uh providing a platform for us as practitioners to hear to share and to be able to come to these Events and truly, truly um, try to bridge that gap and uh, share information with one another. You guys do a great job, and I don't know if you guys hear it enough. Awesome!
0: Thank you so much, Lauren.